prophecy and things. It's going to be uh, one that you don't want to miss. But this week is the week that we're going to discuss living on purpose. I almost called it living with purpose, but if you're saved, you, you ought to already have some purpose. So living with purpose means that you've got something that you strive to be. Living on purpose is an action word. It's something that you take upon yourself to actually do. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. For the past six messages of this series, we have covered a lot of history. We started in the garden, in the book of Genesis, and we came all the way up through uh, last week, which we got into the Gospels and talked about the birth and the arrival and the ministry of Jesus Christ. And hopefully, I have helped you so far, and the other pastors have helped you uh, connect some of the dots of the Bible. My intention with this series is for you to be able to sit down with someone that's never heard the story of the Bible and within the span of five minutes tell them what the Bible is about. Obviously, not going into great detail, but being able to start in the very beginning and conclude at the, at the very end, which we'll do next week. And so far, we have seen a recurring theme. God wanted fellowship with man, so he created man. And then man decided they would rather sin than stay in perfect fellowship with God. And man introduced sin into the world. So God, in his infinite wisdom, introduced a plan to redeem mankind back from the mistakes that they made. But man has a hard time following instructions. And all the ladies said, amen. amen. Uh, because the Bible, if you, if you have been here for this series, we have saw how we draw close to God and then we fall away. And then God goes out of his way to draw us back to him and then we fall away. And then God will go over and above trying to make things uh, prosperous for us and give us blessings that we can't contain and we take all of those blessings and then what do we do we run back to sin over and over and over again we fell away and God restores us and, and there's a good argument to be made that last week's message was the most important message in this entire series because last week's message was about God's answer to all of that his name was Jesus God's answer to our mistakes was a baby born in a manger named Jesus Christ and, and, and he lived a sinless life, died on the cross, resurrected from the dead after three days. And, and, and it never loses its significance of how important that that story is. However, if all you have is last week's story about Jesus being born, dying, and resurrecting, but it doesn't change your life right now, the significance of what happened last week never reaches your life. In other words, Jesus dying should change who you are. Him dying is not enough. Him raising from the dead isn't enough. It needs to impact your life today. It needs to affect how you live today. Or it loses its significance. In other words, church, the question I'm going to answer for you this morning is now what? Jesus has lived, Jesus has died, he is resurrected from the dead, he now sits at the right hand of the Father, ever making intercession for us, but now what? Jesus isn't here anymore. We're the ones left here to carry on the mission, I'll get to that in a moment. So what do we do now? Now that Jesus isn't here to hold our hands, to teach us 
face to face to perform miracles, what are we supposed to do now? This morning I'm going to cover the book of Acts all the way through what's known as the epistles. The epistles were simply letters that men were writing to churches or to individual. Paul wrote two-thirds of them. He would write them to churches. He would write them to regions. He would write them to individuals like Timothy. Peter wrote some of them. Jesus' brother James wrote one of them. Jude the apostle wrote one of them. John the beloved has wrote some of them. So we're going to talk this morning about the book of Acts and the epistles. I'm going to begin my reading this morning in the book of Acts. We'll eventually get over to Romans chapter 10. But let me first preface the book of Acts by saying this. Acts was written by a man named Luke. You have heard of him. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The same Luke that wrote the gospel is the same Luke, Dr. Luke, that writes this book of Acts. Why do I tell you that? Because of the very first verse of Acts chapter 1, verse 1. He says, in my first book, I told you. His first book was the book of Luke, the gospel. And here's Luke saying, in my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach. Leave that scripture right there for a moment. You see what it says? He says, in my first book, my first book was the Gospel of Luke. Have you read the Gospel of Luke? Have you been around this church very long? You know that the Gospel of Luke tells the story of the birth all the way through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Luke is saying here, he's writing this letter to someone named Theophilus. And he says, Theophilus, in my first book that I wrote, I told you everything that Jesus, notice that word, began. That Jesus began to do and teach. Why does the book of Acts start with that premise? That Jesus started something. Because the book of Acts is going to teach us Jesus started it, but somebody else is supposed to finish it. The book of Acts is simply a message to the church. That Jesus started to do things that we're now supposed to finish. He started to teach things that we're supposed to finish. This message is not finished yet. We are still on mission. We still have work to do. Jesus started something and we're supposed to finish it. God had a plan to redeem the world from sin, to right all the wrongs, to heal the hurting, to set the captives free. But now he needs somebody to get the message out. And that is our message this week. Because of what Jesus did... My life and your life now has purpose. You see, your purpose was not to be a parent. Your purpose was not to be a college graduate or to have a great career or to own the biggest house on the nicest block of the nicest neighborhood. That was never your purpose. Your purpose was to live out what Jesus Christ has called you to do. Without that being the purpose for your existence, you will always be wandering around trying to figure out, what am I supposed to do? Well, I'm going to answer that for you. You're supposed to do exactly what Jesus did. He began to do and teach, and we're supposed to continue His work on earth. So God's plan to spread the message began in Acts chapter 1 by sending the Holy Ghost. Acts chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses. Mm -hmm. 
telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up in a cloud while they were watching and they could no longer see him. I could break this down. I've done that in times past and tell you that, uh, that, that when, when he tells them Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, that starts out in your neighborhood, then it spans out just a little bit like your state and your nation, and then it's covering the entire world. That's what he's telling us. We're supposed to tell everybody everywhere. He said, you're going to be my witness. I'm going to give you the Holy Ghost, and it's not going to be so you can do uh, uh, jumping jacks in the aisle, so you can leave Jesus tracks on the ceiling, so you can swing from chandeliers. Uh, you might do all of that. You might get the emotional catharsis. You might shout. You might gyrate. You might clap your hands. You might stop your feet but that's not what the Holy Ghost was given to you for the Holy Ghost was given to you so that you would tell the whole world about who Jesus was and I want to point out to you before I move on in my message that this is the last thing if you notice what the scripture said after he said this he was taken up in a cloud in other words this was the last message Jesus preached this was the last instructions he gave to the disciples. If he's about to go away, and this is the last thing he's about to say, he could have said anything. But if he chose to say this at that moment, it must mean it's pretty important. It must mean, because he's going away, he's not going to be able to teach them any, anything face-to-face -face anymore. He's going back to heaven. So if this was the last instructions he was going to leave on earth, it must mean that that's the one thing he wanted to stick in our mind. Amen? And that's exactly what they did. He said, go and tell everybody everywhere about me. And that's exactly what they did. And that is what the rest of your Bible is about. The epistles and the book of Revelation is about his disciples telling everybody about who Jesus was. The disciples told people about Jesus, and those people told somebody about Jesus, and those people told somebody about Jesus, and those people told somebody about Jesus, until eventually we end up in a building in Weirton, West Virginia, in this thing called the church. And God created the church because He knew that He needed us to know that we need community. Now I'm going to get real serious about the church for a few moments because I believe in the church. I believe in the fellowship of the church. And if we've ever, if we've ever found out anything it, through this season of this pandemic, it is that the church is important. Because that's the one thing that got attacked above everything else was the separation of the church because the enemy knew how important it is for us to be together in fellowship. As a matter of fact, if you don't believe me that you need to be in church and you need other people, God locked some of your blessings inside the agreement of other folks. In other words, you'll never be all that you were called to be unless you are plugged into a community of faith. God made it so that you can't get everything heaven has for you unless you've got people around you that are pulling things out of you and agreeing with you. You know why? Because he knew that when we gather together with other believers, our faith increases and our effectiveness multiplies. So he gives us the church. I'm going to give it to you like this. God knew when he created us that all by ourselves or all alone, we have enough faith for salvation. But we need the faith of others to be overcomers. If you are a lone ranger, if you are a solo act, if it's just me, my four, no more, amen, you are easier victims for the enemy. 
And the enemy knows that, and that's why he's always trying to pluck you off and get you isolated and separated from the household of faith. The church is not just meant to be a place that you go to on Sunday mornings. It is a place where we're supposed to share life together. Don't look at me in that tone of voice. I can find God anywhere. You better believe that you can find God anywhere. You better know that you can find God anywhere. But there's some things that you're going to have in your life that God has locked up with the agreement of other saints. Matthew chapter 18 tells me that I can't get where he wants me to go unless I've got the agreement of other folks that agree that what God said for me is the truth. I can't get it by myself. As a matter of fact, the church is not meant for a place for you to just hang out, but the, but the, the church is called ecclesia. That is a real fancy word which means the gathering of the faithful. Ecclesia. We're not meant to be separated watching online constantly. We're not meant to be separated calling ourselves the church because I can pray anywhere. Yes, you can. But ecclesia means that we are gathering. The faithful gather together. Mm -hmm. The church has seen a lot of changes through the years. As a matter of fact, when I read church history... It started out where people were hearing the apostles and the teachers. They would teach on places like Mars Hill, the public square. Then we graduated from there to sharing our stories in people's houses. And, and, and Jesus would often teach in the field. And he would go into people's homes and, and, and teach the, the word of God. Then we started gathering in buildings on, Saturday, on Sabbath days, Sundays. And that's where the trouble began. Because once we got inside the buildings, we thought the buildings belonged to us. And we started making a big deal out of stuff that never mattered to God one moment. Oh, we, uh, don't look at me in that tone of voice. We started arguing over whether we should have praise teams or choirs. We started fighting over whether we should have pews or chairs and hymns or contemporary songs or what version of the Bible is the authorized version to use or whether we should have instruments or no instruments or whether the lights should be off or whether they should be on. We started making big deals out of things that God never made a deal about at all. Remember that we learned all the way back in the book of Exodus that the nature of people is to complain. Well, it's quiet in here. See, change does not come easy. We learn from the book of Exodus that change doesn't come easy. We, we want to come to church and have it easy. We want Bishop to lay hands on us, and all of a sudden everything is okay. We no longer have the desires uh, uh, for, for the leaks of Egypt. We no longer want what we used to have in our old life. But what I found out in the book of Exodus was right there in the presence of Jehovah, they built a sacred cow. Moses is up on the mountains. They can hear the lightning and thunder. They can see the mountain gyrating from the presence of God. And yet they built a golden calf. Right in the presence of God, they built an idol. Don't you ever think that just because somebody sits in church every Sunday that they ain't got some issues. 
don't you ever be mistaken to understand that they can be great at shouting on Sunday and go home and be a terrible father. Y'all not going to help me this morning. In the old church, we used to say crazy stuff like, get them up to the altar and get them anointed. I found out a long time ago, some of the most anointed folk I ever met are crazy as bed bugs. They are great at speaking in tongues, but they are as mean as a junkyard dog. They have all the, the scriptures memorized about prosperity and healing and and they know all the ins and outs and unctions and functions of how to get people up to the altar and and, and yet they'll dance and fall out in the spirit and and shout and be great at, at, at praying but they go home and they can't cook canned corn they're not great parents they're a maniac on the highway they're always flipping people the bird in Walmart they're giving excuses about why they have weaknesses in their life I'm telling you, I've met some people in church that wish that I had warning labels on them like they do medication. I mean, they put the craziest stuff on medication. I saw one years ago, and I've said this before. It says there was a medication that they were advertising uh, with a B, and it was a pill for allergies. You know what allergies are. It's when your nose runs, and you have watery eyes. And your throat might tickle. And you might, you might sneeze some. And it said that the side effects of this medication might be watery eyes and a throat tickle. And you might sneeze. And I thought, isn't that what I was taking the medication for? Uh, I wish people came with warning labels like that. See, when you meet me, all you see is my hairstyle. You might get a, a fragrance from my cologne. You might know what, how I dress but you have no idea what my personality is like when you meet me. I might might need to come with a label that says, Warning, I'm irrational. I'm undependable. I'm known to be hateful. And you can't believe anything that comes out of my mouth. You won't be able to count on me. When things get going tough, I'm going to get going and abandon you. And I'm going to always take from you more than I'm going to give to you. And I'll blame you for everything that goes wrong. Wouldn't it be easier if people just came with that? tattooed on their forehead or something. So I want to introduce to you somebody this morning, and uh, Pastor Israel's going to come and help me. Because these are some folks, you can just sit right there, because you're going to be here a minute. Don't break that chair. I want to introduce to you this morning somebody I call Bungee cord saints. You know what bungee cords are, right? They got stretch to them. And, and, and they'll let you get so far, you can move a certain distance. But eventually, what you're connected to will always pull you back. See, 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 see we, we, you get these relationships going in your life, and you're attached to some bungee cord saints. Now I'm going to call them bungee cord saints because we're going to deal specifically with the church today. But these relationships could be any aspect of your life. They may not be saints. They might be folks that you are dating. They might be folks that you are working beside of. They they could be people that you have in your own family. I, I don't know your business. I'm just going to talk about the saints and the church today and you can apply it however you see fits. But see these relationships, these bungee cord saints, 
They allow you to get so far. Let's say God is out there somewhere calling you to deeper. And you really want to go. But what you're tethered to. See, see, I feel real good because I started out here and then I took a giant step. And then I took another step. And then God keeps calling me and I keep taking steps. But eventually, I keep trying to take more steps. But what I'm tied to keeps pulling me back. And what you don't understand and what sometimes escapes your, your knowledge is that the more of these relationships you have, the more dangerous they become. Because not all relationships are created equal. Some of them are a lot longer than others. Some of them keep you at a tighter grip and a closer distance. Let's begin talking about the grumbler. Hmm. Let's, let's talk about the person who's chronically negative. Let's talk about the person that you're tied to that's always complaining about something. They can't see the good in anything. And you're tied to their miserableness. Everything in the family, they got to complain about it. Everything in Washington, they got to complain about it. Everything at the church, they got to complain about it. They got an opinion about everything, and the opinion is always negative. It is quiet. Is, it, is there anybody out there? I got lights in my eyes. I'm starting to wonder if, if maybe they sit next to the grumbler and don't want to say Amen. See, the grumbler is oblivious to the fact that everybody has pain. The grumbler acts like they're the only ones that suffer with anything. God said in the book of Numbers, I was reading the book of Numbers about two months ago, and this scripture jumped out at me. You drain me with your constant complaining and bickering. You mean God gets wore out with the complainers? It's not just me. It's not just when I scroll through Facebook and I feel, oh, God, i got to get out of here. Even God gets worn out with the grumblers. The second relationship I want to talk to you about is a short one. Keeps you on a short lease. The critic. You never help me. You're always in a bad mood. Did you see how she looked at me? What was that smart remark that they made when I came in and said good morning at the church? And she said, it looks like a beautiful day. What do you mean what was that comment about? <laughs> see, the critic takes everything that somebody says and makes it say something that they never intended it to say. A critical spirit hears with offended ears and sees with offended eyes and makes something out of whole cloth that did not exist. The critic will keep you tied close to them because people like that take a parental role. They like to boss you around. They like to judge other people. Sometimes they speak the truth, but what they say is never given any grace or love with it. So they beat other folks down to see things their way. They're never satisfied until they get to influence the whole family. Don't y'all all agree with me? 
What's wrong with you? You can't see that? This is Facebook. This is social media. This is 2021 where people aren't allowed to have differences of opinion anymore. We got to tell everybody how we feel about everything and make fun and belittle other folks who don't see things like we see them. Can I tell you, God didn't call you to win arguments. He called you to win souls. Now, I ain't going to be popular this morning, Pastor Israel. I'm sorry I drug you in the middle of this. 2 Timothy 2 and 16 says, Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge will become more and more ungodly. And a person that's constantly complaining about the church and the pastor and their boss at work and the government and their husband and their husband and their... <laughs> sorry, my needle got stuck there for a second. Can I tell you how people, how the critic will do you? They will always judge you by your worst moment. That when you treated them poorly last month, last week, last year, they hold that as the standard for who you are and how you act. And it does not matter how many good acts you do to try to make up for the one thing. They're always judging you by your worst moment. This is why it's so dangerous to be tied to these folks. Because they don't give you the same grace that they expect you to give to them. That's the critic. The next one is another short leash. The tank. The, tr the tank is a controller. The tank is the one who when you have a relationship outside of their relationship with you, they want to be involved. They're jealous of every other relationship that you have. The tank is the controller that wants to make sure that you know, that they know, that you didn't do everything just exactly the way you were supposed to. See, the controller is always complimentary in the beginning, but then they enter into something called emotional manipulation. Hello? They start giving you the silent treatment. When they get upset with you. They intimidate you. And they throw a fit. To get their own way. They get jealous of all your other relationships. They belittle your voice. They won't let you say anything. They make decisions for you. It's quiet in here. Let me move on to the next one. Maybe, maybe that one hit too close to home. Let's talk about the flamethrower. I'm trying to get to God. I'm trying to reach my destiny. I'm trying to get into the land of blessing. I'm trying to reach my promised land. But this thing that I'm tied to keeps pulling me back. And do you see what happens? The more, the more of these you get, the stronger the hold. See, I used to be able to get all the way out there. And now, do you, do you see how many of these poor choices I've made? And how many of these decisions that I have I've brought on myself because of relationships that I have built. And now where I used to be. I, not only did I no longer reach where God was calling me to. I can't even get as far as I used to get. So I used to shout when I came to church. But I can't even get to the shout no more. Y'all not going to help me. I used to get all the way up to the altar. But now I have slid back to the back pew. And I can't even get all the way. I can't even reach where I used to get to because of what I'm tied to. I'm trying to. But it keeps pulling me. The flamethrower. This is the flamethrower, Pastor. This is the instigator. 
The Bible says in Proverbs 26 and 21, a quarrelsome person starts fight as easily as hot embers like charcoal or fire lights wood. Can I tell you that every one of you, child of God, if you're a Christian, listen up. Every one of you carry two buckets into every conversation. One's filled with gas and one's filled with water. And in every interaction that you have with another human being, whether it's online or in person, you have the ability to either cool things off or throw gas on an already lit flame. And we are not called to light things up. Woo. And angry folks, let me just go ahead and get this out in the open, because I'm one of you. Angry folks will say stuff like, I can't help it. That's just how I am. You a lie. You know how I know? Because you'll be in the house cussing, throwing a fit, jars flying across the room, belittling your spouse. You have fought and feuded so long the dog has run under the couch. The goldfish has done went up underneath uh, the, 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 the castle in the, in the fish tank. Everybody is tight and your phone will ring and you'll go from, let me tell you something about yourself that you don't know. Hello? Why, yes, I, I, can, I can change my appointment. Thank you very much for calling me. I appreciate it. And let me tell you another thing. So it's not that you can't control it. You choose not to control it. So, so, so let's, look at the next, let's look at the next relationship. I've done got tied up to myself. Because if you're mad at me already... Buckle up, buttercup. <laughs> Proverbs 22 and 24 through 25 says, don't, get, don't befriend angry people or you will learn to be like them. In other words, they are teaching you how to be like them. Angry. Here's another one you shouldn't tie yourself to. The garbage collector. What's a garbage collector, Pastor? I'm glad you asked. This is the gossip. This is the gossip. This is the one that's always got a great story to tell about somebody else. This is the one, let me tell you something about gossip. Gossip feels good. I'm going to be the only honest Christian in this whole room this morning to tell you that talking about your failures makes me feel better about mine. That's why we do it. You, me talking about how bad you messed up makes me feel a little bit better about when the last time I did. But that feeling doesn't last because before too long you feel ashamed and dirty and tormented because the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you does not like it when you attack somebody else that's got that same spirit that lives inside of them. And so he starts convicting you of stuff that you have gotten yourself into. And let me just give you a life lesson. This is not part of the sermon. This is just free advice. Anybody that will talk about somebody else to you will talk about a to, will talk about you to somebody else make no mistake about it, you are not special you are not the one that they are not going when they got a tale to tell about everybody in the family you think they ain't got nothing on you you think you're the only one that they don't spread stuff about no 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 that's why the gossip is so hard to deal with let's talk about the next one and this one this one might get me in trouble the tempter. 
the tempter. This is that person that's always trying to get you to go a little farther than you really want to go. This is that guy at work that's always looking over at the secretary and going, hey, check her out. Can you believe she wore them tight pants? And you haven't noticed them tight pants until he brings it to your attention. Oh, y'all don't know nobody like that? That's just, that's just people I know. Y'all, y'all ain't got nobody in y'all's life like that? Let me testify then. Because this is the person that's always trying to get you to go farther than you are comfortable going. Because, you know, I'm trying to get out here where God's calling me to. But this tempter, he's getting my eyes in places my eyes don't belong. He's getting my mind to go places that I shouldn't be wondering at. It keeps pulling me back. Every time I think I'm getting a victory, every time I think I'm getting a breakthrough, this tempter just keeps pulling me back because I'm on a short leash with this tempter. They're always trying to make me feel good about talking bad about pastor. They're always trying to make me feel good about joining them in their sin. Stuff I used to feel convicted about, I don't feel convicted about it anymore because i got a tag team partner that if I'm going to hell, they're going with me. Y'all not going to help me. Because they love to spread what they're doing because guess what? They know they ain't supposed to be into it as well. Why do you think addicts hang out in crack houses? They find people that do what they do because they feed off of one another's energy. There's certain places where people that are doing things they know they're not supposed to do, they gather because it's a community. And we are supposed to be a community where chains are broken and lives are changed and liberation comes to the captive. But instead we bring in people that are broken and messed up and that's okay, but we're not supposed to leave them there. And when you are finding yourself connected to the tempter, you're going to discover that directly or indirectly, they are taking you away from what God's trying to call you into. Mm -hmm. And you're going to know that you're under the influence of corruption four ways. If I have to compromise my morals to stay in the relationship with you, if I, in other words, if i got to choose between you or God, you got to go. Number two, if I hang around you and I feel farther away from God than I do close to God, you got to go. If I hang around you and I feel less convicted about things that I know are wrong, you got to go. And if people who love me and have my back and they have been with me while I've been struggling, if they are warning me that I shouldn't be spending time with you, i got to let go of that and chase my God. The pastor, they're my friend, they're my buddy, they're my pal, or this is my favorite, I'm trying to get them in church. And they're trying to get you out of church. So you can't trade one good deed for all the misery that they are causing you. Do you see how far away I can get from this joker now? It's gotten to the point where he's caused me so much misery, I don't even like him. And I'm closer to him than I ever was before. I'm farther from where God called me to be and closer to what's causing me pain. But because I won't let go of this, it's pulled me back. Now, you don't need these anymore because i got something else for you. Because now we're going to talk about my favorite one, the thumb sucker. 
Oh, yes. The thumb sucker. Oh, the thumb sucker's got a lot of attributes. Peter says, or uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he said, I cannot speak to you as spiritual people because you're carnal. And then he calls them, hey, I didn't say this, this is Apostle Paul, you bunch of babies. He said, I fed you with milk and not with solid food because up until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you're still not able for you are still carnal. For where there is envy, strife, and divisions among you. Pay attention to those three words. Envy, strife, and divisions among you. Are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? Mm. So the thumb sucker comes to church every Sunday. And the first attribute that they have is they're the nurser. Yeah. Did you hear what Paul said? He said, I couldn't feed you meat. I have to keep you on the milk. Because even though you might get excited about Bishop's word and dance in the aisle, you don't know how to apply it. Because you get excited about the word, but you don't know how to apply the word, so you are milk-fed when you should be on the meat of the word, I have to keep retraining you because you are excitable, but you're not trainable. Woo! Do you know why a baby is so difficult? Israel and Charity are going to be going through this in the next year. You know why it is so difficult to get a baby off of this? Because they like what they got. And it is more work to chew than it is to suck. Y'all not going to help me. It's more work to pick up food, chew it up, get it down. Much easier to have somebody just shove it in your mouth, close your eyes. If the drool comes, mama going to clean it up. If I spit up, daddy going to get the spit up. I don't have to worry about nothing. Just come to church, open my mouth, say, feed me, pastor. Feed me. But it don't do you any good to get that nursing on Sunday if you're not doing the living right on Monday. Which brings us to the next person, the recess addict. Oh, we have fun in church. Come to Promise of Victory, we have fun. And I'm attracted to church because of the fun I get to have. The thrill I get from the pastor or what they get from the praise team or maybe even from you. Come to church. They, we got the friendliest people in church. I love the program. But I'm not sold on the establishment. Because as soon as a playground becomes a work zone. Or a person who's addicted to the playground sees something shinier at another church. Y'all not going to help me. They gone. Because if you're not here to work and you're just here to play, eventually somebody like me is going to challenge you to get down off the monkey bars and go to work. And if you're not willing to do that, you're going to have a back setting. Y'all not going to help me. Uh, and, and next, 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 I call them the crash looking for a place to happen. 
because they like a pacifier when they come to church. Why do you come a crash looking for a place to happen? Because they get offset and set back by petty things. Oh, let me help you. Paul said there were strifes and divisions among them. And do you realize that over the course of 25 years of preaching this glorious gospel, I have discovered that the ones who claim to be the most spiritual are often the most petty. Because as long as the program meets their demands, they'll just sit and suck. But every little namby-pamby problem that comes along, they get their appetite upset, they get a tummy ache, they fill their diaper, and it's a full-blown disaster. But pastor, they were my mentor. Then you should have picked a better mentor. Because just because they know how to quote Scripture... Just because they know to take you to the altar when you need prayer does not mean that they have anything to teach you. Because sometimes the people that you need to be learning from are the ones that are steadfast, unmovable, unshakable, and through thick and thin, come hell or high water, have stayed the course, decided I, this is where God planted me. I'm not chasing stuff. I'm not after nothing except the will of Almighty God. Uh, so they're a crash looking for a place to happen. And sometimes it happens at promise of victory, and sometimes it blows up in another church. Here's the last one that I'm going to talk to you about uh, that concerning, concerning uh, <laughs> this is the entitled patron. Bears. This was perfect for this illustration. See, these ha the entitled patron has to be served when they come to church. They demand to be taken care of, catered to, and pleased. Ah, they expect somebody to shake their hand, but they don't ever get up and make themselves friendly. If you find yourself married to an entitled patron... Expect them to get mad when you don't tell them every move you make, but you don't know where they are half the time. If you find yourself in a relationship with one of these entitled patrons, expect them to get mad that you don't pick up the phone and call them, but they think phone lines only travel one direction. As a pastor, I've met entitled patrons who will run all over. They will drive three hours to Columbus. They'll drive six hours to other cities to hear preacher after preacher, big name, titled preachers, uh, preach on this on a Sunday night. They'll skip their own church service to drive to hear another preacher and then get upset when the pastor doesn't do everything they want them to do because they're an entitled patron. And last but not least, I've saved the best for last. The raging narcissist. The, why is it so quiet in here? If you are married to a raging narcissist, they want to be the center of your world. If you've got one in your small circle of influence, they get mad every time. If you talk to somebody else, they want to know what's going on over here. What are y'all talking about? 
If you give anybody else or anything else any of your attention, they're upset about it. As a pastor, if I have a raging narcissist sitting in the, in the congregation, I think Carly Simon wrote a song about it. You're so vain, I bet you think this sermon's about you. How you get them back from that? <laughs> so, so these circles of influence all lead us to one direction. What's the church supposed to do in the middle of this? Well, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47 tells us, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous acts, signs, and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared all the meals with great joy and generosity and generosity and generosity. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship who were being saved. See, the apostles were eyewitnesses to what Jesus had done. And they didn't just tell people what they saw. Did you see what the Bible said? They laughed together, they ate together, they prayed together, they shared each other's burdens. Hey, here's a novel idea. They enjoyed each other's company. We want to tell everybody about Jesus, but we don't like nobody. We want everybody to get saved and come to our church, but we want them saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost, and living right before we let them in the door. Because they mess up our program if they come in any other way. And here's the difficulty that I'm having. I ain't never found a sinner that had it all right. I also ain't never found a saint that had it all right. From these scriptures, I learned five things. I'm going to go through them very quickly. Five things that we are supposed to respond. How is the church supposed to respond? Number one, it said they learned. Pay attention. Apply what you hear. Number two, they performed signs and wonders. See, when the apostles prayed for people, stuff happened. Like, like they got crazy touched. Like, like unexplainable stuff happened. Because of the Spirit. And guess what? That same Spirit lives inside of us. And that Spirit cures sicknesses. It erases painful hurts. It causes whoever comes in contact with it to let go of the toughest of sins. That same Spirit operates in the healthy church today. But a healthy church has to be a praying church. A church that prays one for another and expects miracles to happen. I want to let you in on a secret. If you are coming to promise of victory, we are a people who believe that God's not done performing miracles. The age of miracles has not passed. If we're going to take time in service to pray for you, we're going to believe that withered hands still get straightened out, blinded eyes still get open, deaf ears still get unstopped. If you're in a wheelchair, God can straighten out your limbs. We are believers in signs and wonders. Number three, you're not going to like this one. They gave generously. Can I give you a little secret about living a surrendered life? Living a surrendered life causes stinginess to die. Because the more you surrender to God, 
you catch this disease called generosity. Because when you give yourself over totally to Him, all fear leaves. So you stop worrying whether God's going to take care of you or not. So you don't get up every day thinking, I have to be a miser to make my way in this world because you know that the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, but either way, blessed be the name of the Lord. That's why this year we were called to be uncommonly kind. You can't be uncommonly kind. What is uncommon? It's not common. The world isn't generous. You and I are called to be. Number four, they worship together. The devil absolutely hates us to join together. Because he understands the power of agreement. That's why he's always trying to divide us. The second thing God called us to this year was to be intentionally connected. Uncommonly kind, intentionally connected. And number five, they kept growing. They kept growing. See, it's our job to share our faith. And you don't have to have the whole Bible memorized to share your faith. You just got to be able to tell somebody what Jesus did for you. And tell them that if he did it for you, he'll do it for them as well. Mm. Romans chapter 10, verses 12 through 14 says, Jew and Gentiles are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all those who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if, they don't, if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless somebody tells them? Mm -hmm. So why do we do what we do? Uh, what, what, what is this really all about? If you read your Bible, you'll find out that Christian was a name given. You can drop that stuff now. You're, you're a grown-up Christian now. Look at that. Look at that. He's grown up now. I didn't say he was mature, I said he was grown up. <laughs> Christian was a name given to the early followers of Christ. It is a noun. Why is that important? Because it's who we claim to be. We call each other Christian. Christian is a noun. Christian is a noun. Christian is a noun. Follow is a verb. Christian is who we are. Follow is what we do. Read your Bible and you'll never find Jesus calling us to be Christians. But you'll find many times where he called us to follow. Which tells me Jesus is more interested in what we do than what we call ourselves. Thank you, Israel. Uh-huh. So Jesus gives us the same invitation today. He calls us to follow. And there's only one condition. We have to say yes. Jesus did all the heavy lifting. He bought our salvation. All we have to do is say yes. So let's rewind. Are you a Christian who just wears a label? Or are you a follower who does something? Because Christians try to follow a bunch of rules. Mm -hmm. Followers imitate Jesus. They go where he went, 
And they do what he did. So what is our example? What did Jesus do? Look at Matthew chapter 20 and verse 28. For even the Son of Man came not, but not to be served, but to serve others. And to give his life as a ransom for many. And I'm not sure there's anything this side of heaven that we can do to be more like Jesus than to find a place to serve others. And according to this scripture, Jesus gives and Jesus serves. He gives and he serves. And we as followers should give and serve. And I'm going to tell you today that you were not saved to sit. You were saved to serve. Too many people have gotten the wrong idea that they are excluded from serving because of one reason or another. Maybe they say they're too busy, or they're too stressed, or they're too old, or they're too young. Can I tell you that being a follower has never been about convenience? It's about commitment. Jesus made the commitment to, to us, and he fulfilled it through the cross. We make our commitment to the world, and we fulfill it through his church. A great church has never been one person doing everything, but everybody doing something. Everybody in this room has been given a gift. And one day you will, you will stand in front of the Lord and give an account for what you did with your gift. And as your pastor, it is my job to prepare you to hear well done it's my job to prepare you to hear, well done, thou good and faithful. What's that word? So one more time for them in the back. Servant. Yeah, you were saved to serve. You were saved to do something. And there's a lot of opportunities for you to serve right here. Mark chapter 8 and verse 34 says, calling the crowds to join his disciples, he said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. In other words, you've got to deny yourself like Jesus did. But we're supposed to be about our Father's business. And what's our Father's business? Depopulating hell and populating heaven. We need you. Promise of victory is growing. There's new faces here constantly. We're trying to get more involved in outreaches, and we need you. Pastor, I, I was doing this stuff years ago when nobody else did. Uh, I, I did my time. Listen, as long as people are going to hell, now is your time. So I, I want to show you something that I prepared for this morning. This is an example of the ministries and the opportunities that we have right here at Promise of Victory. We have Stephen ministers who reach out with the bereavement team to help people in their most crisis-filled moments. Because we've gotten to the point and will continue to be at that point where I can't do it all. But they still need to be touched. That's what Stephen ministers and the bereavement team does. We have the prayer team. We have a clothes closet that supplies clothes to the community we've got a nursery we've got listen if you if you want to get to the heart of God think about these last three the nursery explosion kids and aftershock students because 
If we don't reach them before they're 12 years old, statistics say that the devil has them 87% of the time. If you want a place to serve, you don't have to give up every Sunday, but every once in a while just go in and hold some child on your lap while they teach them about Jesus. It will do your heart, your soul, and your spirit good to watch Jesus come alive in those little eyes. We got vocals and musician and creative team and audio and video. We got a photography team we're about to start and a videography team that we're about to start. First impressions, everybody smile at me. Everybody smile. You're all hired. You're all hired. Listen, ministry starts in a parking lot. Sometimes it starts out on the street. When you tell people with a smile out on the street that they're about to have that on the inside of the building, they know it's about to be a good day. That's ministry. We got the corral cafe, we've got security, we got we need cleaners, we got the transportation ministry, we've got the groundskeeping that needs listen, and the more and more we grow, the more this becomes important. Why am I telling you all this? Because 1 Corinthians 16 and 15 says, I beseech you, brethren. You know the house of Stephanus. That is the first fruits. They have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. Stephanus addicted himself to ministering to other people. Now you know what an addict is. An an addict has an emotional dependency or a chemical dependency. An addict has to have a daily fix. Sometimes more than daily. Or they come unglued. They can't function without the stimulation of the drug or the activity. And you know about the alcoholic. And you know about the sexaholic and the workaholic. People obsessed with sports and money and betting and narcotics. When, you're a, when, you are, when you are addicted, you are a slave. Your mind and your body demand to feed the addiction and nothing else matters. You will steal from your own grandmother to feed your addiction. Now that's the Bible's definition of what ministry is supposed to look like. Stephanus addicted himself to the ministry. And notice he drug his family into it too. And notice it says they addicted themselves. In other words, they did it and they did it and they did it until they were hooked. And they couldn't get away from it. He didn't go to church and say, what am I going to get out of this? He came to church and says, what can I give to somebody? And it says he addicted himself to the ministry of the saints. What is the ministry of the saints? Witnessing, praying for people, comforting one another, seeking out those that have wandered and trying to get them to come back, giving, helping, being uncommonly kind. So today I'm recruiting applicants for the position of servant addict. That's right. I'm looking for some servant junkies who can get their fix from making Jesus famous. And I'm asking you to apply. We've got unlimited openings. All we need is some interested folks. Pastor, I don't know any scriptures. I didn't ask you to appear and preach. I'm asking you to give something. As you leave here today, my altar call is not in this room. My altar calls out in the hallway. Because out in the hallway, 
all of our ministry leaders are going to be positioned out there at tables. There's going to be a sign in front of their table telling you exactly what ministry and you saw right here. Surely with all of that, somebody with your talent can find a place to serve. With all of those opportunities, you can give something. So all of our ministry leaders are positioned out in the foyer, out in the hallway. They're going to be standing there to sign you up. And maybe you can't make a commitment today of saying, well, I want to give this. But at least go talk to them and find out what it's all about. And they're going to get back in touch with you and find out later on what you're willing to do. Because you're never going to be more like Jesus than when you serve somebody else. His entire, his entire ministry was not about raising the dead and healing the sick and casting out devils. He did all those things, but that's not what his ministry was about. His ministry was he came to give himself a sacrifice for many. He came to give. He came to give. Somewhere along the line, we got this thing twisted where we come to get. If you're a parent, you know that you never receive like you do when you give to your children. Isn't that the greatest feeling in the world? When you give them something they appreciate, when you give them something that helps them, it's the greatest feeling in the world. You have received joy because of what you gave. And I promise you in the spirit realm, it works the same way. You find a place to serve, you find a place to give, and God is going to give back to you, press down, shaking together and running over. So I'm already married, so I can't propose, but I am asking to say yes. I'm just asking you to say yes. Maybe you, listen, I'm not asking anybody to come to church and give up every Sunday and not be in church. That, that's, that's unreasonable. But surely, surely, there's something somewhere out of all these options that you can do to make a difference in somebody's life. So I'm going to pray over you. And my altar call's not in here. It's out there. And I'm just asking you to go out there. Let the Holy Spirit guide you. I'm going to pray that over you right now. And that as you leave here, God's going to put it on your heart to find some area to serve. If you're willing to receive that this morning, would you bow your heads with me? Father God, we are humbled that we have an opportunity to serve you. And we want to become addicted to the ministry. We want to become addicted to witnessing, to telling people about how good you are. Lord, I want to ask that you would open up the hearts and the minds of every person gathered in this room today. That they would receive from the Holy Spirit divine unction and direction as to what you want them to do. Maybe they feel like they don't have any talent, but God, you can show them what they can do. Maybe they feel like they don't have any time, but you can show them how to secure a little bit of time to be able to do something, and it won't cost them anything. I'm asking you, God, to give someone a spirit of generosity and, and, and to be uncommonly kind to everyone they meet. 
bless your kingdom. And God, we're asking that this region be blessed, that this, this entire city be blessed and the city surrounding it because you have called us to serve those that have not yet joined us. And we're humbled that you would use somebody like us. And in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would open up every heart in this room cause them to fall in love with you addicted to the ministry amen and amen I love your promise of victory can we give the Lord a there's plenty of churches without great pastors but there's no great churches without great people so go and become addicted in Jesus name